Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Michael Clark. And I'm Matt Croger. Welcome to another Aussie edition of Counter Charge. Today I'm catching up with Michael Clark, who I like to call the grumpy old man of wargaming, who has taken it upon himself to breathe life into the Sydney tournament scene, which was basically on life support with nary a successful tournament run in recent years. Uh, Michael decided to reach out and grab that tournament scene with both hands. He grabbed it by the face and smushed his lips into it and started breathing, culminating in his first tournament in just a few weekends past pre-corona. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Good to be here, Matt. Taken a while, but we're finally finally on the mic. Yeah, we are. We've finally coordinated times. Yeah, well. <laughs> Corona's made everything a bit crazy. It I certainly think. has. Certainly has. You're working from home, I understand. Yeah, I've been working from home for about three weeks. Starting to get a bit stir crazy, but uh, got to do what you got to do. Yeah, and is it the work that's sending you stir crazy, or the people at home? Oh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, they don't listen to the podcast, so it's it's all good. <laughs> a bit of everything. Uh, everyone thinks how wonderful working from home will be, but I reckon after a week, I was I was I was over it, um, and we're just in a busy time with work, so. Um, you know, days and days doing conference calls end on end. It uh, gets to you after a while, and not being able to go out and get away from it all is, is not good either. But uh, slowly getting used to it. Yeah, absolutely. You'll just get used to it, and then everything will start going back to normal. Oh uh, well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> It'll probably take you another few months to get used to it. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> So where we're going to kick in today, mate, is we want to know a little bit more about Michael Clark. Why don't you tell the listeners uh, where you're from and maybe give that a bit of description for our international audience. Okay, well, I am uh, I live in Sydney. I'm based in Sydney. Uh, I grew up in the country down on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, I moved to Sydney when I was uh, to go to uni and work. Uh, and that was a long time ago. I've uh, been in Sydney now for 35 years. Gosh, I'm starting to get old. Um, That's only a quarter of your lifespan so far, though, right? Oh, I wish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I live, I live uh, on the, the, in the northern hills districts of Sydney uh, in around um, Cherrybrook Castle Hill. Been here for about uh, 10, 15 years, actually. Um, Sydney is, as people may not know, Sydney is the biggest city in Australia. It's uh, fairly sprawling, uh, difficult to get around. It's got about, you know, five million people in it or something like that. And um, got motorways everywhere that cost us a fortune. Um, we've got the harbour in the middle, rivers, um, and the road system is not wonderful. So um, it takes us a long time to get around. But if I wanted to go to a tournament that's in southern Sydney, it would take me nearly an hour to drive there. Whereas um, in Canberra, which where I actually play most of my tournaments, where you're based, it's probably half an hour you can go from one to the other and in good traffic, not bumper to bumper like we get through. Yeah, and the problem, I guess, with that hour in Sydney is that it's a frustrating hour, right? When you talk about driving your hour, you're actually not going that far as the as the crow flies. Uh, no, no, it's uh, bumper to bumper. If, if you don't take the freeways, it's just bumper to bumper nearly all the time, even on the weekends. Shocking. Oh, it's pretty good at the moment. No one's out, but um, normal normal time, it's uh, very, very tough to get around. And the public transport's pretty poor, isn't it? So it's not it's not easy to kind of just catch a bus or a train to a, to a gaming venue. Uh, no, no, definitely not. Um, although the, the public transport's getting better. They just opened up the train line out to where we are now, um, but buses basically don't run on the weekend, um, and the trains only take you to, like, so far, and then you've got to try and get from a, a train station to, to a venue if it's not near the train station, and that's definitely difficult because most of our venues are just not near train stations. No, I guess they tend to be in smaller suburban areas where the rent's a bit cheaper, more often than not, right? Yeah, yeah, and definitely they're in, like, the industrial areas, a lot of them, um, to get the, you know, the, the warehouse space and get it at an affordable cost. Yeah, absolutely, and the problem, I guess, when that is sprawled out is 
when you're in those areas, it doesn't capture an overly large population. Like you say, when Sydney might be a few million people, they are spread out. It, it's not, well, yes, it's densely populated like a big city, but it's it's more, it's less dense, densely, densely populated than a lot of other cities. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, the old Australian urban sprawl, having your own house, it's definitely um, spread out. Why don't you tell us how you got into tabletop wargaming? War What's your origin story? Oh, about... 10, 11, 12 years ago, my uh, stepson decided he wanted to get into uh, tabletop gaming. Thought, oh, well, that's a good idea to get to know him and, you know, build a relationship. Um, he started with Lord of the Rings, actually, back uh, back in the time. Um, so as you know, I want, I went overboard and bought model upon model upon model. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then after about six months, he decided he didn't want that anymore. He wanted to get into fantasy. So we, we moved it over to Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, and we played that for well till till the world exploded, um, and then he sort of got to a stage where he was going to uni, and um, he moved to the to, to stop basically stop playing for a while. Um, he's now gradually coming back, but uh, uh, still he's still at uni, um, so um, doesn't get a lot of time. Yeah, right. I never I never knew that. So you're you're a reasonably given that you're you know you're not twenty, you're a reasonable reasonable latecomer to tabletop game oh yeah i was i was post 40 before i started playing yeah you, you can tell by the way i play no history yeah. <laughs> no ability <laughs> and his interest is coming back for something like kings you reckon yeah well he plays uh 40k with some of his mates at the moment he's really they're really big into D, so he's been doing that you know all all, all along but um he's he bought a Kings of War army and um, about three or four years ago, and uh, he's actually taking it back now and trying to get it into a shape where he can start painting and, and, and get it on the table. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, we're um, we've got an upcoming episode actually on how to get your kids into tabletop gaming. All right. Oh well, with me it was the other way around. <laughs> well, and it sounds like it was for Tracy too. If you listen to that episode, yeah, you know his boy decided he. He wanted it, and then it followed from yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had the um, we had a really big, a fairly big um, games workshop store up at um, Castle Towers. It's not there anymore. It's moved, but um, you know, you'd go, you'd go and hang out there and build and play games when you were actually able to play games at Games Workshop. Um, so that's basically how we got into it. I mean, to be honest, that's probably the story of parenting, isn't it? If you ask them to do something, they won't do it. You're better off letting them find it. First. Well, that's right. You know, <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of time. You know, they went from one sport to the other because we had quite a few kids too. So one sport to the other, and you know, driving them around forever. Um, so that one actually getting into tabletop gaming was reasonably um, less time intensive um in relation to moving him around because it just went basically up to towers and did it in the garage so it was good and so what games do you currently play besides kings obviously uh, kings is the main one um i'm also at the moment building a um uh star wars legion um army got all the models and put them together and i started painting them over the last three or four weeks actually um and i've been printing a i've just finished printing my um terrain for the for a legions table uh and um i also into x-wing i've got an x-wing um force um i've got quite a few other games in the garage but i don't really play them we've got some people in our um gaming group that have got uh, gaming add they, they just pop from one system to the other um and i used to follow but i've stopped following now so i'm just staying on playing playing the systems that i actually like and Star Wars, big Star Wars fan, so that sort of got me into Star Wars. All right, well, and I reckon we'll come back to your printing because I think it'd be interesting to hear because um, from the pictures I'm seeing, you're doing a hell of a lot of printing while you're isolated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both printers. I've got two printers and they're yeah, nearly 24-7. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the power bill at the end of the Oh, quarter. yeah, it could be a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> and so out of the gaming systems you play or even have played that maybe you don't, play anymore what's your favorite i think kings is probably my favorite and that's because um the rules are relatively simple i like fantasy when i got into it but towards the end it was uh, the rules were just getting so convoluted and we had so much community involvement trying to balance the game because it was such an imbalanced game whereas as a whole 
Kings is fairly balanced and it a lot of it comes down to the skill of the player, not so much the army. There are a couple of armies that, you know, point and click and you auto win, but in most cases, but if you're a, if you're a good player, um, you can generally build an army across all the different armies and, and be competitive. Whereas with fantasy, that just wasn't the case. You know, there was one or two. But it's also why you and I struggle. Oh yeah, this this <laughs> building and playing is not my, not my strength, <laughs> which is pretty sad when that's two thirds of the hobby probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, specifically on the kings, how do you actually get into Kings of War? So it sounds like you played up until the fantasy until the eighth of uh, end of eighth edition. Or what what happened then? How did you get drawn into Kings? Well, when 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 yeah, when the world imploded and um, the end times hit us, um, we all sort of. All that the people I used to play with, they were all playing fantasy, and we were struggling to, um, you know, find a different game. You know, we tried um, AOS when it first came out, but it just wasn't wasn't in a good place at the time. Um, and eventually, we uh, I think the second edition of Kings maybe just came out, so we, we gave that a shot. Um, and probably a couple of us are still playing it, whereas the majority of them. It sort of didn't. They didn't quite. Uh, it didn't quite appeal to them. Uh, a lot of them have moved. Moved in. They moved to 40k, um, and a lot of them now moved back to AOS because AOS is becoming rather large in Australia at the moment. But um, it's never really um, grabbed me at all. Um, so uh, I think I think Warhammer died in about June, and I think we had our first CanCon that the, the, the next January. Um, we had about 30 or 40 people turn up, um, had a really good time um, and just played from then, to be honest. Just changed armies, built armies, tried to try to find an army I can actually play, which has been a bit of a struggle, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> what have you played so far? Uh, I started with Basilians, um, and then I moved to Kingdoms of Men. I played Kingdoms of Men for probably a couple of years and I really liked Kingdoms of Men. Um, they're a hard army to play, but... If I won, which wasn't very often, I felt you know it was a good accomplishment. <laughs> um, and if I lost, I thought, well, it's Kingdom of Men. What do you expect? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I moved um, after getting trounced and trounced by Varangar repeatedly. I, I built a, a Varangar force that actually improved my success rate because <laughs> it was a much much uh, stronger army than Kingdoms of Men in, in second edition. Um, and then since third edition's come out, I really I've got into Northern Alliance. Um, uh, I, pr- I printed most of my Northern Alliance army and then supplemented it with um, some of the Manti boxes. Um, so lately I've been playing Northern Alliance and Barangar mainly. Which are a solid list as well, right? Well, yeah, so they tell me. <laughs> my, my results don't seem to point that, point that out, but um, I can see why they are, they are solid. Um, Baron Car in particular is very solid. It's got some some really good hammers um, and some good support units, and it's really tough to get through. Um, Your gaming theory on Kingdoms of Men reminds me of hearing about. Do you remember Mark Bosnich, the Australian soccer goalkeeper? Yep. His theory on on goalkeeping was he could never be in the wrong. If it if it got through into the back of the net, it was the defender's fault, and if he saved it, it was his fault. It was it was on him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that, 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 that's my theory. You know, it's not me. It's Everyone else is just better than me. <laughs> yeah, well, you can live with that, uh, right? Well, yeah, struggle at times, but I get it. I, I'm over. I'm over. I've, I've finally come to the conclusion I'm never going to be a really good player, so i just got to get used to it and have some fun. Yeah, I think that's it's the enjoyment factor, right? Like I, I enjoy winning as much as anyone, but when it comes down to it, I will always take a risky move because in the end I don't really care about the result. <laughs> you know, I'm there to push my models around, roll some dice, and and have a good time. Yeah, I know all these strategy players that you know play it like chess. Um, it's just not me. I'm too impatient. Yeah, I'm totally the same. I go, oh, that's there. It looks like a trap. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> it was a trap. What do you like most about the rule set? You, you touched on kind of the evenness in the in the list building and being out if you're a good player that you've got a chance kind of regardless of list. Um, what do you like most about the rule set? It's a simple rule set, but it's not a simple game. It's really easy to learn the game. It's very hard to master it. You know, I've learnt the game. Um, I just haven't been able to master it. And I think that's that sets it apart from a lot of the other systems. So a lot of the other systems is, you know, the game. sometimes the game is over when after deployment. 
or before you even deploy because, you know, you look at the, your opposing army list and you look at it and you say, well, that army can't beat mine, I've won this, or, or the other way, I said, I can't beat that army, I've lost. Um, and that's what fantasy was like towards the end. Um, the games are over before, you know, probably before you're even deployed. Whereas with kings, the the way it operates and the, and the dice rolling, you know, something could happen and, you know, you roll above average, you know, and you, you, you do better than you think. Um, and if you've got a good army and you roll below average, you know, you can, you can lose. And that's that's the good part of the, the, the game. We've obviously transi- transitioned into a new edition this year. Is there anything you've found in, in kings, well, in kings in general that you would change? Not necessarily just third edition. I think the move to second to third made it a lot even. Um, I still think there's some units that need uh, attention, um, and some, some armies that need attention, some that need strengthening, and some that just need to, you know, be brought back to the field. You know, with a, you know, abyssal dwarves uh, in, in this in Australian scene, abyssal dwarves are just mental at the moment. Um, those stupid war machines with their stupid rules is, you know, it's like point <laughs> point fluke. That's the heavy mortars you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, they're definitely a bit too good. Oh, aren't they? and a lot of their units are undercosted for what they do. And when you can't compare their stats to, to other armies and the sort of the similar units, they, they're, they're like 10, 15 points cheaper and they do a better job. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's interesting. That, I mean, there's always been the chat that Abyssal Dwarves do everything better than Dwarves, and I played Dwarves for a long time. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, that's just all whinging. But I think this addition, it might actually be slightly true. But I think we'll also see. We'll see things even out over time. It's still it's still early days. Well, yeah, the problem is I don't, the, the the biggest issue I have with the way they do the rules and the changes is it's very UK and USA based, and and they tend to be a different gaming meta than we are in Australia. And I don't I don't see a lot of abysmal dwarves armies. You know, I see a lot of shooting armies, especially in the US. But um, so I'm not hope, I'm hopeful that they'll fit you know abysmal dwarves, but. Um, I'm not all that confident. Brand new shiny models coming for them. Oh, Matt, wash your <laughs> mouth out. <laughs> What's excited you most in the change to third edition? I think it, the the biggest thing is it got it seemed to have got a lot more people involved in Australia and people that were starting to waver sort of came back, um, which was good. And I think they 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 cleared up, you know, a lot of the you know the little niggly things that sort of annoyed you. Yeah, probably in some cases they've replaced them with other things. If you if you listen to some of the chats, oh, I think they've 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 done a really good job. We just need to you know a few more things need to be fixed. I think some armies need to be strengthened and and some need to be brought back to the pack. And yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, I I agree. I think generally they've evened it out quite well, haven't they? And and certainly we have seen a lot of new people on our Facebook pages um, in general. Even more since COVID nineteen. Yeah, UB's taken a beating. <laughs> yeah, so maybe one, maybe uh, one good thing to come out of COVID nineteen is we'll have more people playing kings in the future because they'll have painted armies. Wow, that could you know? Like I've just, I've in three weeks I've printed a whole new army, so um, just got to paint it. <laughs> uh, and I'm probably onto my next army. I'm thinking about what what else to do now. You mentioned that in the addition change, you maybe think a couple of the armies ended up a little bit better. But is there? Is there? I mean, that's always going to happen. But is there anything about the addition change that you really don't like, particularly in terms of the the rule set itself? Maybe not so much the armies. No, no. I, I think I think I think the rules fairly solid. After the, I played a game this morning, and after playing a game this morning, I'm starting to think that wavering rule is not good. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, the double ones is get gets a lot of attention um to me um doesn't really impact my games that a lot much um so i don't really i do it and, and it happens so infrequently that um it's generally a big moment so i think you just you, you remember it more than all the other little things that went your way in a game so i thought of, i don't sort of worry about it too much no it's part of the vagaries of a dice game isn't well it? that's right yeah that's yeah and human experience in a dice game you'll you'll tend to remember the things that impacted you really significantly rather than all the little minor things that might have gone for or against oh, you. Oh, that's right. You forget, you know, when you roll 20 dice and you roll 18 out of 20, three pluses, you, you don't forget, you don't you don't remember that, but you, you, you remember that, that one time where you routed something and you get a double one and that stood there and then you got flanked and smashed, but you're, you know, the, the opponent probably had to had to endure the, the, the massive roll that routed their unit. Um 
and you're the one that's got to put up with the double one that you do. You know, dice they go, they go, and they come and they go. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and I don't think there's an easy fix to help everyone. I mean, I, I personally, if you wanted to fix it, I'd consider just taking away if they're above their route value. I, I don't think the what's that new rule called? Devastation, devastating. The devastated rule. I don't think it really does anything. Half the time when it happens, it's on a unit that's either you can regen or heal it off and then it's not devastated anymore. So, And I think the real problem with double ones is that the unit remains there. It's not really that it gets to attack back. I think the problem is is you've planned for a unit not to be there, right? Um, And I think if you haven't hit over its route value, then there was always an element of risk. So there'd still be about a four-point window where double ones can work against you. Yeah, but I agree. I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, no. Well, I played the I played the game this morning and it didn't happen once. And I can't actually remember the last time it happened with me. So you know, I don't. You know, it comes in ways. Sometimes you do it a lot. Sometimes you, you, it just doesn't happen. And I think because it is so obvious too, it is something that tends to get remembered even when it's even when it's really not impactful. Like a lot of the times you roll when you roll double ones, it's not impactful, right? Um, but you remember the big ones. Oh, you definitely remember the big ones. You said you're working on Northern Alliance slash Varangur at the moment. What, what have you What have you actually got for that army? What are you putting to putting together? Well, in Northern Alliance, I've got just about all the units. I think the only the only 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 units I don't have are the elf units. I'm sort of anti elf at the moment, so I don't um, haven't really got. I got a lot of elves in my garage, but I don't um, haven't actually put anything together to to be. The off component of the um, of the army. Um, so I've got you know the clansmen. I've got naiads, pack hunters, basically the whole list other than the elf part of it. So what do you got against elves? We, and we know that'll change because you used to be anti dwarves, but now you're the dwarf oh. king. <laughs> Edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> what a dwarves! I don't play dwarves. <laughs> um, I think it's a, probably a hangover from from second edition where they had all that old, especially the elite shooting. The amount of times I got, you know, wiped off the table by hordes of archers, re-rolling ones and and then bane chanting on, on 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 a, you know, it it was you know sad. <laughs> um, probably um, probably doesn't happen so much now. Um, now that they they nerfed the crap out of elf shooting, but um, yeah, I think that's that was that was the, my genesis of my anti-elf list building or playing what do you think about all the nerves to sh- nerfs to shooting because um, there's been quite a few do you think it's gone too far or doesn't bother you i think i think in some instances it went too far i think um i think the elf nerf to shooting was um was probably too much um i think what they should have done is just got rid of elf hordes and left them a four plus because you know when you think of an elf you think of an elite type army so i think they should have been, they should still be able to hit on fours uh, I just get rid of the, um, the. I would have got rid of the horde option. Most of the other ones, you know, I think it's it's not too bad. I don't like um, the fact that some armies can have, you know, gazillion war machines. How that can impact a game. But I do like the fact that the armies that did have war machines that you never saw are now they're now starting to come back on the table. Uh, and they're not they're not really devastating unless you're talking about the, you know, abyssal dwarf heavy mortar. That seems to be the only one that's totally broken at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of feel like every other army I've played, I'd be quite happy to play three or four war machines against me. You know, I think you can. There's there's enough counters, and they don't hit hard enough. Yeah, and I kind of feel the same. I think shooting has gone a little bit too far, and it's been a little bit inequitable across the armies. But I also kind of like not having to build an army exclusively around in case I get a shooting spam opponent. Yeah, well, probably the only armies that'll do it now are. The Goblin War Machine Army, um, which you know, is is abysmal to play. It's you know, it's I played it once and I hope I never have played again. And uh, what's your favourite part of the hobby? Uh, to me, the favourite part I reckon is, is terrain building. I like building terrain. Um, as you know, I've got a crap load of terrain in the garage, um, and I like um, building armies. So not so much into painting. And I like I like talking about it. Playing's good. I, I just I just don't have the skill base to, to to for it to be the main part of the hobby for me. What a main thing I like is just getting together with people and talking and playing and having some fun, getting away from the you know the the drudgeries of life. And this man does love terrain building, ladies and gentlemen. He usually brings ten tables for us to every tournament. And then last year, what'd you give me? You gave me seven tables, I think. Uh, it was five or six tables. Yeah, right? I built five or six tables. Yeah, for yeah. 
still got ten or more at home. Uh, I think I dropped down to. I think I dropped. I think I dropped down to eight. <laughs> um, plus, plus I've got a lot of stuff that's been printed that I haven't actually painted and got ready to use yet. And you've been really getting into the printing recently, so not just your PLA printing, but resin printing as well. And some of the stuff I've seen you put out is great quality. Talk to me about your. Talk to me about your printing. Maybe go through kind of what kind of printers you have what they work for and what they don't seem to work for, maybe what files seem to be working best. Let's let's have a chat about printing. Yeah, well, because I like terrain, I um, started with a, um, a filament printer. I bought an um, Ender 3 Pro. Um, I think I bought that about, oh, gosh, it must be about nine months ago now. Yeah, the, the trials and tribulations of starting with printing is, is – I could go on forever, but, you know, I got to – I persevered and persevered after having failure after failure, and I got my printer set up such that now it's, it's just on autopilot. You know, I decide I want to print something, and it just prints, and very rarely do I get a, um, a failure. And I bought a, a filament printer because when I compared filament to resin at the time, resin was just starting to take off, and it seemed to be an awfully messy process, um, whereas filament, it's not so bad. Got involved in some Kickstarters that were, were selling files and um, started printing. Um, one of the Kickstarters was a you know a really good Kickstarter and he he builds support free models which makes printing so much easier when you don't have to support them and that I used um, to basically build my Northern Alliance army and since then uh, after about six months I thought oh the miniatures you get from FL from filament printing are not as not that great you know um, and I thought oh if I'm going to start printing miniatures I need a resin printer so I did a lot of research and eventually I bought a um, Elegoo Mars um, resin printer. Again, after a while, it takes a while to get it all set up and printing properly. But in the last probably two months, I've, I bought it, I got it for Christmas. I got a, a gift card from my wife and I used that to buy it. And then I finally got it dialed in and then started printing. And the the, 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 the standard of the model you can get now is, um, is phenomenal. You know, like it's a $400 printer and um, you're getting, you know, not games workshop quality models but they're 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 definitely a a cut above what you you know you probably used to be able to get by probably 10 years ago probably last three weeks i've printed a complete dwarf army so i got involved with some patreons that relate that you know design models and release them each month and march must have been dwarf month because i think three of the four patreons that i support all brought out dwarves and i thought oh well better better and and some of the models just look stunning so I, i i printed them and it was good. And I found another... Oh, sorry, mate. I don't think it was um, Dwarf Month. I think it was Noble Month World Round. So um, that's why everyone... Really? Dwarfs. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. most noble race. A true dwarf speaking. Yeah, and one of the Patreons, he actually... He actually... He must be must be in the Kings of War because he's actually designed and sold Kings of War specific armies. You know, he did a... Um, a, a like a Foxman army that he used as a herd. Uh, and then he did Varangar, which is uh, where I got a lot of my models from. Uh, and he's now moving into Sylvankin. So he seems to be going through the Uncharted Empires and, and basically designing a, a range for, you know, every every model in the um, in the book. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. We might actually get a list of the Patreons you support and things and so people can have a look at them so they know what you're talking about and we'll put them in the show notes, um, p- potentially along with some links to the printers you use a resin printer is definitely on my list i mean i really like the idea of terrain as well we've got a filament printer it's just not <laughs> too much of an idea to work it um but yeah once once covid's over and i'm sure i'm certain that there's going to be money in the bank i might might have a look at a resin printer and store it at work i think when i started with the resin printer um I, well, the reason i didn't get into it is because when i was doing the research the the cleanup and the the work involved post printing seemed to be um, excessive, but some of the companies are now bringing out um, machines that do a lot of the, the cleanup and um, curing at, at the same time for you. I bought a any cubic cure, cure wash and cure station, and you just take the take the build plate off, bang it into the wash station, and it basically takes all the resin off. Then you, then you, then then you take it off, um, get rid of all your supports, and put it put it back into the onto the machine, and it cures it for you. So it's made the post production a lot simpler because i used to have to have you know resin people don't know resin printing you used to have a like a tub of um uh, you know 99 90 plus percent alcohol to take the resin off then you'd have a, another a tub of like simple green or 
a product like that to, to to clean it up a bit, and then you'd have you know do that, and then you'd have to you know build yourself a um a curing station, which I did, and then cure it. So and you know you have to use nitrile gloves, you know you use a lot of um, paper towels. It's it was a messy process, but now it's print into the wash station, take the supports off into the curing, and it's done. So it's made it a lot simpler. Mm. And do you think it's going to be a viable medium? Oh, definitely. I, as I said, I printed um, the dwarf army in three weeks. hasn't got all the units, but it's got enough that you know you can play. You can build an army. Uh, and a lot of the, the miniature, uh, the model of the miniature companies are, are actually tweaked to the fact that it's done to start taking over. You know, Titan Forge used to, you know, basically built and sold models. Well, they've now got a Patreon that I support, um, and they're bringing out. Uh, a lot of their ranges over uh, you know each month you don't get everything but um and the, and they build you know they design new stuff as well but um you know extensive dragon empire army you've got um I've, i can actually print most of that now because they've released most of the models and there was another one just recently that um oh, i can't remember what it was good on me um but they they, they have done the same thing. They've started releasing their models as, as SDLs. You get a Patreon, you pay a certain amount each month and they release the models and you print them. And I think it's sort of, it's a way of them transitioning their business because I think the smaller, the smaller miniature companies just can't, you know, they can't compete with, with Games Workshop and, you know, even to a lesser extent Mantic, but their ranges are good. So, you know, they've, they've just found another way to, um, you know, generate revenue. Yeah, the problem for them, I guess, is that they're, cost per miniature for production is so high compared to others i guess well it is you know some some of them are, are bringing out fairly good um, miniatures but because they don't produce as many as you know mass produce them their cost per unit is probably higher than it needs to be like raging hero raging heroes is that is the other one you know they they, they built some really good models uh now they've moved into um doing a Patreon to sell some of their models. They just started this month, actually. Oh, that's interesting because they're, they're pretty popular and also pretty pricey generally. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. They're just, they're just, it's their first one. They've just released a, a pirate ogre army or pirate ogre models, not, not really an army. Um, but the, 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 the detail on the models, it's, it looks astounding. Do you do any modelling yourself? Do you use modelling software? No, no, that's above my pay grade. Oh, well, we've got a 3D scanner. I might 3D scan my head and you can print it out so that you can always have me with you, mate. Oh, that, is a, that would be a joy to behold. <laughs> Wouldn't it? You could sell that for sure. I, I, my wife would walk in the room and go, what the hell is that doing on the shelf? I should probably scan let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> and not with joy, no. definitely fear. No, that's, that's the sexiest, sexiest Warhammer no, podcasting. Oh, you're not that anymore, are you? After after the no, other day, no. Alex <laughs> Alex Kuss, you know, talking. <laughs> Didn't he ever? No. no, never knew what it felt like to have two bums. <laughs> that was a brutal. <laughs> now that was a brutal game. So, would you generally consider yourself a competitive or a hobby gamer? Oh, more hobby than competitive. You know, said I'm, my skill base is not good. Um, you know, I probably win. I'd be lucky to win third. But you enjoy playing in tournaments? I I probably enjoy tournaments most of the time. Um, you know, when you get a absolute massive spanking, sometimes it gets you down. But um, I, I sort of generally like the the surrounding parts of the tournament. You know, talking to people, seeing people that you haven't haven't met, haven't you know caught up with for a while, and talking about what, what they're doing and what armies they're building and how they're doing it. You know, because the, the reason I bought the resin was some of the guys at CanCon had. had, had 3D printed resin armies, and they were saying how great it was, and uh, so that was one of the reasons I eventually got into it. They said it's not as bad as it looks after you get used to it. And have you um, have you had any favourite tournaments? Oh, uh, Cancun's probably always the favourite, probably because it's a uh, you know it's it's the whole oh, well, the sexy TO, the world's greatest TO, um, but it's the, like because it's a conference and it, and you've got all the other stuff that you walk around and you, and you generally get to see. People that you know have moved on to different systems, whereas when you just go to a Kings of War tournament, it's just generally the the, the same people all the time. And Cancun is where we all sort of catch up. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about a convention, right? And particularly that because in Australia there's not really multiple big conventions, Cancun's easily the biggest. You know, as many people come and play Kings in that tournament because they're already coming for Cancun rather than just for the tournament, right? That's the way I've always seen it. People are there as much for the con- convention as they are for the um, for the tournament. 
Well, that's right. And plus you get them from all around Australia, whereas, you know, your, your local tournaments are generally just, you know, Sydney-based or Canberra-based or, you know, Brisbane-based. There's probably only, what, three tournaments in Australia where, where we, you know, travel significant distances for and CanCon's one of them. All right, well, we might slide into a break there and in a moment we'll be back and talk about what you're doing in the Sydney community. I'm Andy2D6, the Orange Legend, and you're listening to Countercharge. Get ready to charge those counters. And welcome back. As I mentioned at the start of the show, Sydney was really lacking in a tournament scene before you stepped up, Michael. What do you think some of the challenges have been with getting that going in Sydney? I think the biggest the biggest thing is um, the size of Sydney. Um, it just takes a long time to get around. And I think when um, pre-Kings of War, when fantasy was going, it used to be easy to be able to do a you know one two-day tournament, have 30, 40, 50 people turn up. Um, but when Warhammer died and the, the scene splintered, everyone sort of moved to different systems. So the numbers in each system declined. And noticeably, Kings didn't really have a, 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 a support base, so it had to build itself up. And they start, started trying to do that in the in the you know, the first couple of years. But for whatever reason, um, it didn't catch on. And I think mainly that was because, one, we don't have a lot of you know, good venues that, that can put um, – you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten tables on, and getting around to different venues is because when you, you know, you have to spend an hour to drive somewhere, play some games, and an hour to drive back, um, and then if it's a two-day tournament, doing that twice, it's um, sort of it sort of turns you off going to tournaments. And I think in the early days, um, you know, we attracted some people, but um, for whatever reason, they they didn't continue on. So I think after the first year, I don't think we. We were really able to get many tournaments after the first year. So for like two, at least two years, maybe two and a half years, we just haven't had any tournaments in Sydney. There's someone um, over at uh, in in close by me, Zay, who started trying to build up a a, 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 a tournament scene or, or or build actually a gaming group um, at one of the good games shops um, near in Norwest, which is not very far from where I am. But um, that closed. Uh, about two or three months ago, I can't remember, uh, or maybe even before Christmas. Um, so, and that was a fairly big space, so it was really good. You could actually have probably a you know, you know, twenty, thirty player tournament, and it it was there was enough room to do it easily. Most of the the venues in Sydney they're smaller, and the tables are not as many tables, and the space is limited. So it's um hard to sort of get, you know, consistent tournament gaming. So I think all those things combined just meant that the Sydney scene died and nothing much was happening. You know, and I started driving up to Canberra, which to, to, to attend the tournaments that you guys were playing or putting on, um, and that's like a three-and-a-half-hour drive for me. So it's generally a, a whole weekend. You know, I drive up on a Friday. I play Kings on the Saturday. The wife and I then, you know, do some things on Sunday around Canberra, and then we come home. So it sort of turns into a relatively expensive tournament if you're taking in, you know, the petrol, the accommodation and everything else that goes with it. The um, bribery. Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> sure, you can buy this. <laughs> the, the shopping allowance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the Canberra scene was, was probably thriving there for um, probably the best scene in, in Australia, the, you know, probably 18 months ago. Um, Brisbane started doing similar things and they they were getting they were doing a lot of tournaments and they still do a lot of tournaments but they're generally you know 10 to 20 people and i think we came from an, an era where we were we thought a tournament was 30 or 40 people we sort of had to rediscover what 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 worked and what worked was basically one day and probably you know 10 to 20 people and we thought i was following what was happening in victoria michael crossman was building the scene down there and he started from a, a very low base um, and he's getting to the stage where now he's getting between 20 and 30 at his tournaments. And we just, you know, the people that, you know, I talked to, they said, oh, we've got to do something, we've got to do something. Um, and eventually I thought, oh, well, I'll do something. And I- and unlike Mike, Mike just runs tournaments to win them himself, which is not your goal, right? Nah, unless unless, unless, I, could, unless, unless I could change the rules, I think that's the only way that I could, I could win. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike built the Victorian scene by doing... Um, certain things. He found that they've got a great venue down there. He tried to, you know, grow the, the player base by giving out free army boxes to new players. And eventually we thought, oh, well, we better do something in Sydney. So I said, oh, well, I'll do something. And I approached um, 
one of the gaming shops that's around here. It's about 10 minutes from where I live um, called Tabletop Empires. Dan there put us up for um, the first tournament that we ran about oh, probably a couple of weeks before COVID. <laughs> Basically, we're done, we, were done, we were going to do a series of tournaments over the rest of the year. I think we had four planned. I started with a you know a small 1,500-point tournament that I could get. We worked out we could probably get 15, oh, 18 people, 18 players. Um, that's why I went 1,500 points because we were using a smaller table. And then I was going to build up to like a 2,250-point game by the end of the year. COVID's probably put a bit of a hole in that. But the first one we ran was really successful. We got um, a lot of new players in or people that were playing Kings. I started to play Kings, but they hadn't. They didn't go to tournaments, you know, because tournaments sometimes have a stigma attached to them. But managed to get. I think we ended up with sixteen players there, and five or six of them were, were new players or players that just hadn't been to tournaments before, and they enjoyed themselves and they realised that you know tournament play was it's not as bad as it's made out to be. And all the guys that were all the experienced guys were there were very helpful. You know, we we. Started off really well um, and looked like, you know, by the end of the year we were going to have a, a pretty good scene going. There's a couple of the guys that went there with come from um, Company of Dice, which is a um, gaming little group based in southern Sydney at Padstow, and they, they do multiple systems at the one of the local RSL clubs every month. So we were going to try and, you know, hook up with them and, you know, eventually build into a, you know, what we'd hope would be a, a reasonably sized Kings of War scene in Sydney. Bloody COVID. Yep, I mean, COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you bring up a really good point about stores, though, don't you? I mean, I, I don't think it's dissimilar in a lot of countries, but getting getting a one, a good size store, but then a store that stays afloat as well is a big problem in Australia, right? Particularly if they don't want to be too GW-centric. The ones that survive do seem to be, you know, do a lot of GW trade. So, I mean, we were similar to you guys is that, uh, we we had a really good venue all planned out well and we were playing there multiple times a week and all our tournaments run there but then it went under and and certainly we have seen a bit of stagnation and growth since that time uh, we still have access to a really good store but they're not someone that's been very mant- mantic centric before and you're also because of that competing with every other system for space so um, and because they are GW centric and because the GW games have grown so much you know it can be hard to get space sometimes yeah and also a lot of the gaming shops tend to be magic focused because um, magic is fairly big uh, it's probably more profitable and it's probably on a, on a square footage basis they make more money out of magic than they make out of anything you know having to have shelf space for models and that you know ten, and, and if you want you know gaming tables you know for one gaming table you could probably have like three or four magic tables so um it does does sort of change their focus a bit yeah and i think rent in cities is just ridiculous right which would would be the same all the all the world round but because the population density is different like i'm in canberra and i have a business in the city and even my rent for 180 square meters is you know the better part of 80 grand i can't imagine what some of these places in sydney are paying you know, and then they need to make that up. Well, that's right. They need to, need to be able to pay the rent, and they need to be able to make By money. By selling product, yeah. you know, they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not a services industry. You know, they've got to sell product. Yeah, I think main, the, the successful ones tend to be ones that do a, a more diverse range. They do like board games, plus they do, you know, the card games, and then they do, um, you know, the miniature games. I think if you try to be too one shop focused, unless your games workshop is just not going to work. And Games Workshop works because the margins on them are just so high compared to compared to other 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 systems. So, talk to me a little bit more about this. Uh, the first tournament you ran. What specifically did you do to make it newbie friendly? Because I think that was primarily your goal, right? It wasn't for engaging any existing player base. It was for building a new player base. If I'm if I'm correct. Uh, it's probably both. It was probably to get the um, you know, the existing player base that just weren't coming back to tournaments anymore in, back into the scene, and yeah, to grow to get more players. What I did, I so I took a I took a, a leaf from what Michael Crossman was doing in Victoria, and I offered a free army box to um, any new players. I conveniently, forgot to limit that in my player pack, so ended up costing me <laughs> costing me a bit, but such is life. And, and when you say f- free, as in instead of 
too many prizes and things, you know, where possible, divert some of the entry money towards the army boxes and then make up the slack yourself. Yeah, that's what I did. I put 50% towards prize money, 50% towards army boxes, and I, I just fed in the rest. And what I also did is I made it a smaller, only 1,500 points, um, so people that were just getting into it would have more chance of being able to play because they, they, they would, may have not had a complete army. And I asked all the experienced guys that were coming to, you know, tone down their armies and try to make it play as friendly as possible. And we were lucky that um, we had some of the really good players in Sydney come, like Jeff Trace came, um, and Jeff's wonderful scene building and, and talking to new players and, 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 and helping them. Um, and Nick Legrand came, and he's a, both of those were top ten in um, CanCon. You know, Nick's a... He's a bit of a nobody, though, Nick Legrand, isn't oh, he? A bit of a nobody. Yeah. Yeah, he's legend, legend yeah. in his own mind. Big, I was going to say big in his own lunchtime, <laughs> right. but not in anyone else's. Yeah, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but a really good player, um, and um, and good at um, helping people. So, so in the end, we sort of had we, had, we ended up with sixteen players. Probably six of them were, were new. Probably six of them were players that played, but those weren't regular players. Uh, and then um, there's probably you know five or six of us that were more experienced than others. Overall, it was a really good day. We played four rounds. Um, the the new players that were sort of just coming into it and were a bit hesitant about turning up to um, uh, tournaments, they just they had a ball and they realised that you know the people they're playing are you know are nice guys and they were very helpful. You know, especially Jeff. Jeff went out of his way to um, you know give some advice to all the all the people that he played, which he always does. And they were you know raring to come back and. You know, I think we would have sold out the next one in an instant. How many did you say attended their first tournament out of? So you got how many total there in the end? We ended up with we ended up with sixteen. Uh, we had a couple of dropouts overnight over the, the in the, the night before, and I reckon probably of the sixteen, there was probably six new players that had never been to a tournament before or never been to a Kings. Of, some of them hadn't even played Kings before; they'd only played one or two games. There was probably about six that were had been playing but didn't really want to come to tournaments, um, and then there was probably four of us that were experienced gamers that have played Kings of War a lot. That two dropouts, yeah, because that reminds me, that was literally, it was almost on the eve of COVID going big, wasn't it? Because we, we, I remember talking about it with you and, and we thought, oh, are the COVID dropouts going to come because people were starting to get worried. So it was, it was just before everything started to go a bit more into lockdown. Yeah, yeah, we did it. I think um, middle of March, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about a month ago. Um, yeah, there was there was even talk about you know, where where you know would we be actually able to run it? Eventually, we decided yeah we can run it, but you know we gave you know no no handshaking, no you know touching everyone's models and stuff like that, and keep your distance. And uh, so we got it in, um, and then you know a week after that, uh, you know it started to hit the fan, and you know left, right, and centre, everyone was self isolating and. Tournaments being closed down left, right, and centre. To be fair, I'd always wash my hands after touching you anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> fairly <laughs> mutual. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, what was the uh, what was the feedback on the tournament? Uh, you said that they were all pretty much raring to go. Oh, definitely, they are, you know. And now they're trying to get some other guys in. I think that what we were going to run into was more space issues because going up to full-size tables, we weren't that, you know, Daniel's got a great store, but it's not not a big store, um, so we're probably just going to run out of space. But definitely, I felt we were going to have you know four really successful tournaments over the whole year. And and I think even though you know we're, we're in hiatus at the moment because of COVID, I think once you know this all gets back to normal, we'll just start again, and I reckon we'll have more players. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I think I actually think we need to do a big push on our local Facebook groups. We haven't been seeing a lot of hobby posts. I think we need to get some more going yeah well i think um you know we've been doing a lot of hobby and we'll you know a lot of talking and a lot of sharing and stuff but yeah it's not so much on the the local kings of war pages we need to we need to start keep ranking up keep the interest there so that, they'll, that when, when we eventually can go back to playing um they'll, they'll be there yeah my my offer of free bump hats only goes so far usually we need a bit more well a bit you know, more to generate interest than that don't we well that's one of the reasons can't come so successful you know everyone looks forward to it <laughs> Uh, is there anything you'd change from your tournament for next time? Do you think that would make it run more smoothly or just better or you were pretty overall? Uh, I think I probably put a bit too much train on the tables. I went from, you know, there's full-size table down to the 4x4s and I had 10 pieces of train. I probably needed to be less 
terrain on the tables. But other than that, no. We, we used Tabletop TO to do the scoring and all that. You know, a lot of the new players didn't really use it, but Tabletop TO is so easy to use. You can just put the scores in yourself at the end and, and play. So, um, no, I think I think we, we, we got it right other than, other than the train. As I said, the, the players were um, excited and they wanted to come back and they wanted to play more. Now I just been kicked in the teeth again. And so let's talk about the day. And you talked about newbie friendly lists and, you know, while you're <laughs> not an elite player, <laughs> you know, you obviously would have tried to make your list friendly. Well, can you remember what was in your 1,500 points? I took Northern Alliance and I decided not to take any of the big hitters. I don't think I took – I didn't take any Frosties. I didn't take any Huskars. basically took a, a more of an infantry-type army. My, my dwarves, some clansmen, some lords on – lords on um, – Thegans, some bolt throwers, and some fox. Uh, no, yeah, I took a unit of foxes and a unit of um, wolves. I think that was it. It was fairly tame Northern Alliance army. Um, yeah, so none of the big hitters. Yeah, and is that the feedback you generally gave to the experienced players? Maybe just toned down on the flyers and the hammers. I uh, did ask all the all the experienced players that were there. I asked them to you know bring some tame lists and and, and not go overboard because uh, I didn't want people to turn up. You, you go to a, a tournament the first time and um, get absolutely smashed off the table and not enjoy themselves. I think um, you need to, to, to want people to come back. You've got to, got to make them enjoy the game and, and, and look forward to coming back. But that's not to say that you know the experienced players will always have the have the wood on the um, inexperienced players, even with the tame toned down list. But um, generally, none of the inexperienced players felt like they were out of the game or that you know you know they were. They were you know, getting smashed off the table, they were, they were competitive up to the last round. And then most of the experienced players always sat and down with them and said, look, this is what you could have done better. You know, if you remember this move, you shouldn't have done that move, you should have done this and things like that. So they learned the tactics a bit better, you know. And I was actually able to do that and, you know, how experienced my tactics, how good my tactics are. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to be honest, I probably would have followed up every one of your conversations and just told them not to worry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Wait for the next game. (laughs) Uh, And so where do you guys tend to congregate congregate on the internet? Um, Do you have certain Facebook pages or anything? What are are you using? Well, we've got um, got the Kings of War Sydney group. We've got the Kings of War Australia group on Facebook. We've got got the, you know, UB um, Facebook groups that are the main one. Uh, You know, a lot lot of you know are on WhatsApp and we, we talk a lot. On WhatsApp, but generally Facebook's taken over. From, you know, we used to be fairly big on well, when, when Wargamer AU was really big. It's basically died now. Uh, but so Facebook's I think taken it fully over. Collapsed now. Well, yeah, they, I don't think I don't think it exists at all anymore. No, they transitioned it to a new a new system, um, but ah, um, okay. not much in there. So because um, mm, he's um, he's in Canberra, that guy actually oh, owns that forum. All yeah. right. So what would be your top tips for building the community? Because obviously, while it only got to one tournament, obviously it was a success and looked like it was going to continue to be a success. So we're just going to assume that it was going to be a success. <laughs> it was going to be a huge yeah. success. I think the things that, I'll be honest with you, I think the things that were successful in Victoria were, were the things that you know we, we took on in, in Sydney and I think that was what was going to make it you know successful. You know, we... You know, we tried to get new players in. We offered them a, a, a cheap buy-in, getting them a free army box. You know, we got some experienced players there that were able to um, help them, help them with their list building and help them with their play and, and generally just make it a friendly day so that people don't even think they're talking. half the time when the, the day, most people didn't even really, you know, sort of forgot that we were playing a tournament. It wasn't at the end until, you know, I gave the list out and who won and gave some prizes out that people sort of, you know, finally realised it was a tournament. It was just like a gaming day. If you can turn it into a gaming day that has a bit of a, you know, a, a competitive feel about it, I think that's better than having a, a full-on, like, CanCon experience. You know, you, you, you couldn't build a scene trying to use the CanCon way of doing things. You know, you have to, you know, you have to start small, get people in, get them hooked, and then um, move on from there. Yeah, I think it's, I think you make a really good point there about the gaming day and the tournament experience. Like, you still have to have a competitive aspect right because you still want those experienced players to be there and to help you build the community and i think they probably on average would tend to play less at something that was just a gaming day but if you make the setup a bit more newbie friendly and you have a chat to them about being newbie friendly because they're experienced they're probably going to win anyway right well that's right you know except you know i think on the day zay from 
because they won the tournament, but he took his rock hard, you know, filthy undead list. <laughs> uh, Jeff Trace came second, and he took a very friendly um, Abyssal's army. It was it was based on his normal, you know, competitive list, but he he toned down the number of you know heavy hitters that he took and brought in some stuff that he probably wouldn't normally play. Um, but because Tracy's Tracy, he, um, he he was able to be on the top table on game the last game. And uh, one of the um, sort of semi-regulars um, to, got, got third. Uh, he got shocked of his life when he got third. But, um, yeah, you know, to be honest, there were some people there, they were just there for the hands of fun of her and they were, they, were in the, they, were, they were going for the wooden spoon and they were, they were, they were quite happy to do it because they, they were just, they, were like, they just felt, you know, it was good to get out, roll some dice, um, play with your models and, and have some fun. Yeah, I think, I think wooden spoon's also a good thing to prioritise in terms of your prize support, right? Like, um, obviously, I think the new army box is something we were going to start doing too before COVID, but I've always had the wooden spooner get just as much as the person, if not more, than the person coming first. Yeah, yeah. You know, re- reward them for having a terrible day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think the wooden spooner, he, he got a free army box, so he, he got a, um, you know, he got a you know, good prize. Uh, I think I gave one of the prizes to the guy that came second, and that was um, Jeff Collier. You know, he's a probably experienced player, but um, he hadn't been to a Kings of War tournament for a while. Well, I, I think everyone enjoyed themselves. So the, from the perspective of a player, what's your thoughts on Mantic Games? What are, what are they doing well? I think they engage with their, with their community really well. Um, I think... Um, I think one of the things that the difference Mantic is that, and, and it's probably something that limits them in relation to Kings of War, is they've got so many systems. Um, and probably being a, a smaller um, company trying to um, support a lot of systems um, sort of spreads their resources thin. But it also probably means while they're still viable because, you know, you get a, a bigger player base if you're just concentrated on one game. Um, I don't think they probably would have been as successful as they are. Uh, I think their their model building their model range is starting to get really good. Some of their newer releases are, are really good. I just wish they would um, fill out the, uh, the whole range. Like I say, if they're doing a, a range of models, they should bring them all out if they can. You know, maybe they don't do it all at once. But like even with Northern Alliance, you know, a lot of the units they just don't have models for yet. But it would be better if um, they did. So my only criticism, I just think they need to fill out their model ranges because some of the um, older armies still don't have all the, all the models. This kind of came up on, um, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, um, but the isolation podcast we did with all of us. But And some of them to me are a little bit unusual, the holes, like there's just been released new pictures for Ogre Siegebreakers. And to me, when they do add-on kits, like that could have been really easy to be done ages ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Rob said, you know, just add big shields. (laughs) Yeah. So I I find, I agree. I think now that we're seeing them fill in a bit more, I I think it's really going to help them. And and let's be honest, the standard of their models has gone through the roof. Yeah. Well, I bought some of the early early Brazilians, and um, they they just haven't seen the table because um, they were just so hard to put together, and you couldn't get hands and that to to line up. Whereas um, I bought the Vanguard release for 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 Basileans and the, some of the models in that were crackers. I think it's just been a little bit up and down. I think the metal's been a bit of a problem at times. Like the Centaurs, oh god, I love the look of the Centaurs, but they are so hard to put together. Mm. Ronnie, it's your favourite son here. Redo <laughs> the Centaurs in resin. Yeah, I have to admit, metal metal models are just not my not my thing. I know some people just you know stand by metal models and they they. They dream of, you know, the old days when everything was metal, but um, I just can't handle metal models, having to pin stuff and um, trying to stick them together with super glue. No, drives you crazy. Yeah, so for you, would filling out their ranges be the main thing that they could improve on? Or I think that, yeah, I, to be honest, I think that is definitely the thing that they can improve on because, you know, people want to want to play the, play the game and they, they want to – I think there's been a shift towards trying to support Mantic in the last probably six to 12 months. Um, I think if they can – you know that they got they got a lot of new people in when 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 Warhammer died and, and you know and they brought something out quickly with Uncharted Empires to 
let people, you know, use their existing models, which was good. And and the fact that they're not precious about people using whatever models they want also helps. But as to, for for them to grow, they they need to fill out their ranges because if you know people are, are are wanting to support them because of you know all the good work they've done, but you know when there's you can't buy a full army, you know, or you can't buy the models you want. It's um, it's a bit sad. Like even with Northern Alliance, you know, to get some models, you've got to buy the whole box. But if you've bought one box, you don't really want to buy another box just so you can fill out some units. You want to be able to buy the individual units, and they just haven't done that yet. Well, I don't think they've done it quick enough. Yeah, I um, I agree. And there does really seem to be this concerted push now from the community to support Mantic, doesn't there, which I think is great. I mean, once I've done my Dragon Empire army unless i'm printing models you know i'm probably going to make an effort never to buy anything but mantic again except for potentially feature models or something like that yeah well i probably i probably try i'm probably going to tend towards you know going to armies where i can at least have some mantic content in them you know there's this dwarf army that i've printed you know may i'll not even see the ta- the light of day at the table because how much i love dwarves <laughs> and after my first game i I might struggle to, you know, put them on the table, but um, I, 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 I'm probably conscious of the fact that you've got to, if if you've got a company that's supporting you, you've got to support them. So you, you've got to start buying some of their models. So because if you don't, they won't be around. There's plenty of companies that are no longer around because no one supported the game. Yeah, I agree. And um, I mean, the more things are done in resin, the more stuff I'll buy. I like, I really want some worm riders, but you know, they're still in metal, and I've just heard bad things about trying to put them together in metal <laughs> oh well i bought the um i bought the, the you know the lord on Camira and that's just an excellent model you know it's got some gaps but generally with resin you always get gaps um and the commute and the phoenix the, the new phoenix model is just a stand standout model it's probably the best model i think they've ever done you know some of the abyssal dwarves models that are coming out people are saying they're really good yeah that phoenix has really grown on me when I first looked at when I first saw it released, I was like, oh, you know. But the more I see it, particularly painted well, oh, I think that is a cracking model. Yeah, I didn't realise it was as big as it was, to be honest. I thought it was um, probably half the size of what it actually really is. Agreed. I thought we were going to get some of that weird scale things that they've had sometimes when I first saw it. I was like, oh, that doesn't even look like a Titan. Yeah. But now that you've seen it next to other things, it's right on the money. Yes, it definitely is. Now, originally we were going to talk about upcoming plans for tournaments, but who knows, right? So I think we might chat instead about your playing in the most recent and massive call to arms. Is that correct? I am, yeah. I haven't played yet. Oh, I played in the previous one. Um, I think I've got in the bottom bottom, bottom quarter. <laughs> um, but um, that generally meant I was playing. Um, I played exclusively UK and USA people and they you know how those those guys like their toys. We moved up because we're, our tournaments are normally about two thousand, and they seem to be settled around two thousand three hundred. And at two thousand three hundred, you can get some um, some nasty lists. So I wasn't quite uh, expecting that, but I'm signed up for the next one. I got Maxi in my my first game tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. After this morning, do you know who you're playing? May as well give him a shout out. Oh, I do. Um, let me see. I am. This won't be released till after, but you know, then we can. Maybe insert some sounds of you crying. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Soon after, you'll get my post. Oh, I just played my game, got smashed yet again. <laughs> uh, I am playing. I can't find it. Uh, okay. I'd have to search. Where are you going to run? Uh, I'm running Varangar because I thought Varangar, they're pretty strong and they might make up for my deficiencies. After my game this morning, the list has changed yet again, so we'll just have to see how I go. Problem with Varangar, currently my list after after this morning, uh, I've got some Clansmen, some Frostfangs with the Brill Sharpness, a couple of Mounted Sons, a couple of Huskar Regiments, some Drugar Regiments, a Thegan and a Lord on Frostfang, two Conclaves, a scald with the loot and some snow foxes. Snow foxes, so good. Oh, everyone keeps telling me how good they are. Mine, mine don't even. Most of the time, I play them. They don't last past turn one. That might be just me. How's that possible? I play They're stealthy. Oh, stealthy! It's because you know what I do. I just put them in charge range, or I forget that someone can charge <laughs> them, and then they're gone. You know they're speed nine as well, right? I do, I do. But yeah. you, 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 you've seen me play. <laughs> yeah, true. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm reasoning with, I'm trying to reason with a madman. That's right. <laughs> uh, any shout outs you want to give Michael uh, before we finish up? I'd like to give a shout out to Dan at Tabletop Empires where we're starting to run our tournaments. Dan's got a great um, shop there. He's, he's, he's got a lot big Manti range. So anyone in Australia needs some models, get onto Tabletop Empires because they're still operating. They're, doing it all by post now but delivers australia wide and uh yeah he's a great great bloke dan he has been really good to our community um not only to you guys locally but around the country he has um, been very supportive and and it's hard for a small business to support us to the to the level that he has so i would definitely encourage you know throwing if your local's not supporting mantic then certainly get behind him instead and he always includes a nice little personalised note in the delivery. He does. Yeah. He does. Mm, yeah. Mm. I like to think of them as love letters. <laughs> you would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other shout-outs, mate? I'm, I'll do a quick shout-out for the next Australian UB tournament that's currently planned, which will be part of the Masters. Um, we might see some more pop up but uh that's kings of the pandemic we've got one guy from the uk interested and i think we might have mod from singapore interested in in playing because we're going to try and punch it out in a day just like just like a normal tournament and i think singapore's only i was looking at it the other day a couple hours behind so fits in quite well actually actually i'm just about to uh, probably the next day or so i'm going to release a uh, another ub tournament um uh, this won't be a one day one it'll be um over over arena four or five weeks um and i'm just halfway through putting that together and that'll probably come out in the next day or so great you're going to keep it short and sharp like three or three or four games or what's your plans i don't do four games over four weeks because let's face it we've all got time at the moment so um but uh, i'll probably be a bit more strict on if you don't if you just don't play a game or then it's a, it's a draw and we'll just move on because i had to, the last tournament last couple of tournaments i've run i've had to chase people try and get them to play the games yeah, um, and don't want to do that. And so how can listeners follow the adventures? I've had a chat to you off air about uh, I think you should um, get some of those images of your resin models up so people can see what you're, you're doing. Uh, you've got a blog? What What's that? I have a blog that doesn't get used a lot, but it's um, Darth's Wargaming Adventures at um, blogspot.com. I use that uh, to, 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 to run my tournaments, post things up. I used to put up there about train that I was building and, you know, some – you know, tournament write-ups. Um, I haven't done it for a while, but um, I definitely try and get back into it. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and your Twitter? Dragon King at Darth underscore Michael C. Right, that's complicated. Yeah, it is. I... I guess that's old people using the internet, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned we've got the Kings of War Sydney and Australia pages, so we'll put links up to those as well, as well as links to some of the stuff you've been using for your printing. And we'll probably put in a link to Kings of the Pandemic and depending on when your pack's out, Michael, we'll get a link in there. I'm not sure when this will be released. And, yeah, I don't think I've got any other shout-outs. I'd really like to thank you for joining us and giving up your time, Michael, and and good luck with continuing to build the scene when we're all allowed out of isolation. I think you're doing a fantastic job so far. Thanks, Matt. Nice to talk to you. We'll leave it there for tonight. Thanks, Michael. All right. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 